0: Good morning, church. Great to uh, see you. Um, We are continuing in our series uh, on Joseph this morning, so please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 40. Our passage today uh, is all about a time uh, when Joseph got forgotten. Uh, so, Genesis chapter 40. I'm just going to read this, and I think uh, it should appear up on the screen for you as well uh, from George. Thank you, George. Uh, so, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house uh, of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Uh, Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I want to zero in on that last verse, the very last verse of Genesis chapter 40 there. It's that devastating, almost throwaway line that says, the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. And it's amazing to me that the cupbearer forgets about Joseph because they're both in the same prison. Uh, They're both wrongly accused of something they shouldn't have done. And the cupbearer should really have put in a good word for Joseph as soon as he'd got out. And he must have reflected on the accuracy of what uh, Joseph had interpreted in the dream. So how he could have forgotten is just beyond me. But instead what happens, Joseph just languishes there for two whole years. I, I don't know if you've ever been someone that's ever felt forgotten or overlooked, either by people or by God, but if you have, then today's message is for you. And my aim is to be really helpful to you this morning uh, in this kind of a season i'm going to be asking three questions of this story and steering us through how to under- understand those times when we feel like we've been overlooked or forgotten or bypassed and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting so my first question is this are we reading god's intentions accurately are we reading god's intentions accurately Now, given how long he had to carry on waiting uh, in the prison, I think it would have been ever so easy for Joseph to start mixing up in his mind uh, how God might have seemed towards him with how the cupbearer behaved towards him. And what I'm saying is we can sometimes inaccurately twist the perfect intention of God towards us with the very poor, sometimes, behavior of people. And I think that's a mistake, and I think it's a mistake we can all make, and we make it from time to time. We can say, ah, I didn't get that job, um, and so that must mean God's forgotten me. Well, no, maybe God didn't allow you to get that job because that company is about to go into administration, and you couldn't see that. Or we can say, well, she somehow found the deposit for that house, so that must mean God is blessing her more than me. Well, No, it just so happens she's been saving for five years longer than you, and you didn't know that, even though you're close friends. And her journey is different from yours anyway. God doesn't have favorites, and he doesn't show favoritism. Making Joseph wait for two years will be because God has much bigger things in mind than the forgetfulness of one flawed person. Look at it this way. If God could send dreams to two people on the same night that disturbed them so much that they could they showed it on their faces in the morning, he's perfectly capable of reminding the cupbearer at any time about Joseph. That's not a problem. So what does that mean? That means it wasn't ever about the cupbearer and his flaws. It was always about God and Joseph. So what could the reasons really be? So let's have a look at that. Just briefly, I'm going to suggest these. They're not in the story, but I'm going to suggest some sensible uh, ideas. Perhaps it could be to do with the readiness of Pharaoh to hear particular counsel. Perhaps there could have been other administrators in pharaoh's court that needed to be gone and out of the way before joseph could be appointed and yeah. be effective yeah. perhaps god needed joseph to start his new role at the beginning of the five years of plenty and not a month too soon or not a month too late yeah. don't forget that god always 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 has good intentions towards us yeah. job really got this concept well didn't he he had a whole set of disasters happen to him And he just worshipped God and didn't credit God with wrongdoing, did he? In Job chapter 1. So always stand on that firm foundation that God is fashioning your character for good, if you'll let him, and that the setbacks we navigate always occur inside the lens of God's permission. I'll just say that again. The setbacks we navigate always occur inside the lens of God's permission. And we know that that's true, and we have proof of that, because God permitted it on the cross. So we may have been forgotten by people, but we are never forgotten by God. Uh, God remembered Abraham, God remembered Noah, God remembered Rachel, God remembered Hannah, God even remembered Cornelius' memorial gifts up to the poor in Acts. God remembers you. I had an interesting thought about this story the other day, which... uh, might lift the reason for this whole episode onto a totally different level and change the reasoning and our thinking about it altogether. What if God allowed this episode to be in Joseph's life purely to point to Jesus and the cross? Even though Joseph, of course, could never have been able to tell that. The reason I say this is because Genesis 40 seems to me like a pre-echo of communion. Even though it was written 1,500 years before uh, Jesus comes along, there's some remarkable similarities between the story of Jesus and this episode. Think about it a moment. A king decides that there's a death and a life in the context of bread, wine, and sin. And there's a really important three-day period. Those are very, very large coincidences, it seems to me. So my thought about that was this. Could God have allowed this episode in Joseph's life as a form of signposting what was coming in the person of Jesus all those years later? And if this is the case, and I think it is, Would we be okay with it if God allowed things in our lives that pointed to him that we couldn't understand at the time? So bear in mind that God might be doing something with you and through you that you don't or can't see, even in your lifetime. But that doesn't mean his intention is bad. It's good. It's very, very good. So my first point is this. Let's not mix up God's perfect intentions towards us with people's flawed behaviors. Let's not do that. Number two, is our character fully ready for our next season? Is our character fully ready for our next season? So one winter, a wheat seed enthusiastically shouted, if you can imagine that, to the farmer one day, am I useful? And the farmer replied, no, not yet, you haven't even been planted. And then in the spring, the wheat shouted out again, am I useful? And the farmer replied, no, you haven't grown even a little bit yet. In the early summer, the wheat shouted out again, am I useful? And the farmer replied, not yet, your heads of grain haven't even grown. In the midsummer, the, the, the wheat shouted out again, am I useful? And the farmer replied, not yet, you need to ripen some more in the sun. At the end of summer, the wheat was really discouraged, but he shouted out one more time, am I useful? And to his surprise and amazement, the farmer replied, yeah, now's the time, get ready. We might well be crying over our cornflakes every morning that the Lord has forgotten all about us and our frequent prayers to change our situation. But one, thing, one, one reason things might simply not be changing is we might just not yet be ready in our character. A major reason the Lord does not permit us into whatever it is we're desperately waiting for is that he knows that our character can't handle it yet. There's a church commentator in, in America called Kerry Newhoff, and he says this, and I think it's very wise, Competen- competency might get you into the room, but it's character that keeps you there. If your character is not ready, God will not elevate you. Yeah. So let's be careful not to charge God with overlooking us when actually our character simply isn't ready yet. I, you know what I think? I think the extra two years was all about God making Joseph fully ready in his character for the huge amount of focus and pressure that he would be facing as number two in all of Egypt. And I just want to point out something to you that's really nice that I spotted the other day as well. There's a great transition in the pairs of dreams that Joseph has. And this reveals a maturing process going on. And this should bring you some encouragement. In the first pair of dreams, remember, about the, you know, the coat and the favor and the, the, the bowing down and everything. It's actually all about Joseph, isn't it? In the second pair of dreams, it's about the needs of others. There are some guys in prison who need an interpretation. In the third pair of dreams uh, that he interprets for Pharaoh, it's about the needs of a nation. There's a great transition there. It's really helpful to recall that many of the great leaders we see in the Bible had to wait a long, long time before stepping into what it was they were called to do. You know, Joseph had 13 years. They reckon it was from about 17 to about the age of 28. And then this episode happens when he's 28. And then he waits another two whole years Uh, before he gets appointed to Pharaoh's court. So that's 13 years of wrongful slavery and imprisonment. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. Joshua spent 40 years uh, helping to lead the people of Israel and then taking them into the promised land. David spent 13 years anointed as king but couldn't have it because Saul was on his case. Jesus had three and a half years uh, years of being misunderstood and rejected and a cross before he got made king. And Paul, the apostle, had 14 years of obscurity before he was able to rise to ministry. God ordains your waiting time in his time in order that your character is fully ready. So secondly, you are definitely not forgotten, but you might still be being made ready. Number three, are we in integrity while in obscurity? Are we in integrity while in in obscurity? We must practice integrity without people seeing or knowing. Character is who you are when no one's there. We all need to work on that pretty much all the time. Um, I asked my middle son, Simon, uh, for permission to share a great story that illustrates this concept really well. A couple of years ago, uh, we decided that Simon needed to switch schools to support opportunities that he was really wanting. And so we applied for him to get a place uh, to go on a waiting list into King Edward VI Aston School in Birmingham. Now, the way this waiting list works is that if a boy leaves midway through the year, and you're on the waiting list for that year group, uh, you then go in and you're invited in. All the candidates who are wanting that place are invited in for a test, and you sit a test in the morning, and basically it's the boy that gets the highest marks. I mean, it's pretty brutal, you know. So uh, we had Simon on the list. We prayed about it, we, and, and an opportunity came up. We were really pleased about it. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And then the day for the test came, and I took Simon in, Uh, And We were there first by a long margin. I was like not doing anything with the Birmingham traffic today We got there about eight o'clock in the morning. It was ridiculous. Anyway, eventually another six boys showed up Uh, I have to say one of them was in a onesie and it looked as if he'd been pulled out of bed by his mum at the last minute But never mind. So seven boys sat this test in total for one place Now on the way back to his usual school After the test, Simon said that he and the other lads had been chatting about what they were going to do uh, for the rest of their day after the test while they were waiting to be picked up. And it turned out that only Simon and one other lad were actually going to go back to school and carry on that day. Now, bear in mind, this test was over by half past 10 in the morning. So I said to Simon if you were God and you were looking down from heaven and you wanted to award a place to uh, one of those seven boys, would you include the five boys who are going home to relax on the Xbox or would you think about those two boys who are going back to school? And he kind of nodded and he said, yeah, I think I'd give it at least to the two boys who are going back to school. And I said, that's right. So really, this is a two-horse race in God's God's mind, isn't it? And actually, Simon won the place. Now, even if he hadn't won the place and the other lad had won it because his marks were better, He and this other lad were demonstrating a private follow-up of schooling that exceeded the other five. And over time, I have to tell you, that kind of integrity wins out. It really does. It's certainly the kind of thing that makes the Lord sit up and notice. And what we know about Joseph in this time in prison is that his character and his attitude and his behavior are exemplary. He's appointed to supervise the other prisoners even. He shows compassion, he asks after them, he credits God with the ability to interpret dreams, he effectively does great ministry, he hears divine revelation accurately, and he is pastoral, and he's got a close relationship with the Lord. So here's a real challenging question for you. Why would God give you ministry from a palace when you're not prepared to do ministry from a prison? Why would God give you the school place you say you want in the future when you're not even going back to the school you're at now? Yeah. Think of it round the other way too for a moment. This is, a real, this is a, a, a real kicker. What if Joseph had been full of anger and resentment about where God had put him and decided out of spite that no one was getting any pastoral care or ministry? I'm fed up with you, God. I'm not doing that now. Guess what? He would have remained in prison because the cupbearer would have received no ministry from Joseph and had nothing to remember. Remember? whether it was two years or not. So one of the big lessons from this story is that if we're in private integrity now, the reason we're being made to wait on God is down to him and not to us. Equally, if we're not in integrity, how can God elevate us or use us in the next season? He can't. So here are those three questions again from Joseph's experience in prison. Number one, are we reading God's intentions accurately? People's behavior towards us is not always an accurate picture of of God's plan for us. Number two, is our character fully ready for the next season? We might think God has forgotten us when in fact he's just waiting on that inevitable maturing process we all go through, surely. And number three, are we in integrity while in obscurity? If we are in personal integrity in the private place, the reason we might be waiting will lie with God and not with us. But if we're not in integrity, how can God take us up another level? I'm just going to ask the worship team if they will return. And as we draw to a close, I'm just going to try and project my mind into where you're at watching on the live stream and, and imagine what you're thinking. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds all great and wise and everything, Pastor Nick, but what should I actually do in my situation? So maybe you're someone that's really thinking that right now, wherever you are. Maybe you feel... You know, I'm totally in Joseph's two-year uh, limbo land season, uh, and I just don't know how to be. I don't know what to say or to do. So first of all, a great way to tell you might be in one of these seasons is that you are super keen for how things are now to be over and done with and replaced with something better. That's a big sign that you're in one of these two-year seasons. And let's be honest, I actually think lots of us have been feeling a little bit like that during lockdown, haven't we? Okay? Okay. So are there any practical steps we can take to help us through such a time? Well, I think there are three, and I'm going to read them out for you, and we're going to unpack them really quickly, last two minutes or so. So number one, keep on giving what we yearn for over to God. Number two, diligently uncover what God has for us right now. And three, circumstances do not have to be perfect for you to have a big influence. Okay, those are the three things, and I'm going to unpack them really quickly now. Number one, keep on giving what we yearn for over to God. It's so important that we keep on giving that thing we're hankering after and hoping will change over to God. Because two things then happen when we do that. First of all, you know that he's running with it on your behalf. And secondly, it clears your headspace and it stops it from being the main focus of your life. There is a great danger in wishing away your life for what isn't and missing what is. Number two, diligently uncover what God has for us right now. God always has something for us to be getting on with right now. In fact, it's a real surprise just how much God has for us to be getting on, uh, to be getting on with right in front of our face. When we're, we're always yearning for the future, we miss that. So what I would say is pause, look around, see what needs there are, and look right in front of you. What could you be doing right now? while you're waiting. You know, I always think of my own wife, Chloe, within a couple of weeks of her spinal injury back in 2014, she basically just dusted herself off spiritually and started visiting people on on her ward, uh, in her wheelchair, her new wheelchair, uh, to chat and to pray with them. She's a legend. She just didn't want that to stop her from, what is it that you've got for me to do now, Lord, while I wait to get better? Even if there's nothing practical you can think of, the world is always needing a lot of prayer, don't you think? So number three, last of all, and we're, going to, we're then going to go into worship. Circumstances don't have to be perfect for you to have a big influence. When the, cup baker, uh, sorry, when the cup bearer and the baker were in the prison, needing their dream interpreted, who had the most authority and influence right in that situation right there? I'm telling you, it was Joseph. And those guys were high up in Pharaoh's court because they were really trusted. You can have a massive influence right now in your waiting season, in your two-year timescale. Right. Build your relationship with God all the time in prison seasons as well as palace seasons. And you will have influence even when the conditions are abysmal. Amen, church.